joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. I don't know any other way to really get into the idea or thought of today other than maybe this statement that I jotted down earlier this week. In sheer arrogance, secular America has abandoned God and made gods out of themselves. As I think about the struggles that we face in this world, as I think about the challenges that have come our way as Christians, one of the things that has become very evident as kind of the core of that um, challenge, the core of those struggles, is the fact that maybe as a nation that at one time was God-fearing, at one time maybe not completely God-fearing, but maybe at least uh, respectful of God and of that type of life and that type of, of direction, things flowed in that direction, we have created a culture where our own wants, our own desires, our own needs rule everything that we do. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can get wrapped up into that secular idea of it is all about me. It is all about meeting my needs. It is all about making sure that my life is where or has what it needs to just be the best life that it could be monetarily and physically and in all of those different worldly ways. <coughs> Excuse me. And so when we get into this place to where we make ourselves God, we make our needs the most important needs, our only mandate at that point is to simply satisfy those needs and those personal desires. And because of that self-satisfaction, Because of that self-satisfaction, as Christians, when we decide to live a counterculture lifestyle to that, we end up facing areas of hostility in our life. We've talked about these the last couple of weeks. And, and because of where we are, for, for, for some of you, for some of you in the way, in the, in the, maybe the country you grew up in, the world that you've grown up in and have lived the majority of your life, as things flowed toward Jesus, it was easy to make that commitment. It was easy to stand with and for Christian values, but as things have turned and things have changed in our world, it is harder to do that. And so we are caught off guard in many instances, or we're living in a world to where we're not exactly sure how to respond. But the truth of it is, Jesus said it was always going to be this way, right? Jesus came along and he said, hey, don't be surprised. In uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 19, he says, if you belong to the world, um, belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And so he starts out and says, hey, if you if you make your life, if you make your your existence about that stuff that the world says, hey, this is what's going on, then the world's going to love you. They're going to be all about you. They're gonna, you're going to be part of the, you're going to be part of the group. Um, but as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, it is a persecution.
if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. What does Jesus say? Jesus comes in and says, look, if you're about the world, the world's going to love you. But if you live counterculture, if you live following me, if you take that stand and say, it is about Jesus in my life and nothing more and nothing less, it is about Jesus, then you're going to run into moments in your life where you're going to struggle, where the, the, that, that the world's going to be against you. And we are seeing that more and more every day in our lives. So what do we do when the struggle becomes real? As we've talked about uh, through this whole thing, we stand for Jesus. We make a commitment and we say, as a Christian, I, I'm going to be about you. And, and we have to understand that becoming a Christian is a great thing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more because it's not as easy as I think sometimes we think it is. <laughs> we get wrapped up in this idea of Christianity about, again, Christianity being about me, being about um, what I get, getting getting uh, the things that I want out of it. It's about getting mercy. It's about getting grace. It's about getting all these things from God. But the truth is, it's also about what I'm giving God. I get mercy. I get grace. I get all of these things from God. But in return, I have to say, God, I'm committing to you. I'm giving you what you ask for. I am I'm devoting myself to you and your way of living. And so if I want to continue to receive this mercy and this grace and this forgiveness, then I'm going to also have to agree to say, God, I'm going to live this way for you. This is what he says in, in, in the book of Mark. He says he went on and he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, law, uh, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. But here's what he says. He says, look, if you're living this way, if these are the things that you're choosing to live, you're living outside of the grace of God. You're not living in the will of what God wants. So we have to make up our mind how are we going to live? What standard are we going to live by? Romans chapter 1 lays out a lot of interesting things. But there's a verse here at the end of chapter 1 that I think is so important in this idea of taking a stand for Jesus. He's, he goes on and he says something very, Paul says something very similar to what we just hear Jesus say in the book of, um, in the previous book. But he says, they have, come, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, uh, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees, uh, that those uh, who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, if you go back and you look at this list, you look at this list and you go, okay, these things make sense. I understand. These things are against the word of God. They're against the will of God. They're against the direction of God. If I'm going to take a stand with God, I can't be about, I can't be living these things. But the very last phrase here, he says, it's not just that they do these things, but what's just as bad as doing them? Also approve of those who practice them. And that phrase, I believe, takes our stand to even the next level. 
it's not just enough to say, I don't live this way. It's not just enough to say, I don't practice these things. I'm not living this, this sinful life. But hey, if you want to do you, do you. Go ahead. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to live my life. You live your life. If you want to be about these. He says, no, it is just as wrong for us to even approve of these things. And when I read this, you know, I, I believe that just about anything can be good and it can be bad. And in the world of social media, social media, uh, our, our social media platform uh, here at Ninth Avenue has, has done great things in the kingdom of God. It, it's led people uh, to baptism. It's, it's led people to come and join us. It's, it's, it's broken down, I believe, some barriers uh, that maybe we have struggled with getting over as the church of Christ in, in, in the past. It, it's kind of let people see that we're not, you know, these just, just this complete self-righteous group of people that think we're the only ones going to heaven. You know, it's, it's given us an opportunity to break some of those barriers down. Social media is also a negative thing if we allow it to be. And, and I, it, 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 there are times that I see the things that people comment on and approve of through their social media that fall, people are living in this life of sin, and we're just going on going, hey, that's great. Hey, I'm proud of it. And we're almost applauding them at times and approving of those things, even though we're saying we don't live in it, but we're approving of those who do. And, and Paul says, look, in this standard of living, you've got to live above not, not just the idea of don't do it yourself, but don't even approve it in other people's life. Now, some people say, well, that's judgmental, Matthew. You can't be that way. No, it's not judgmental. It's called being holy. It's called being holy. The passage we read earlier from 1 Peter is such a great verse, such a powerful statement for us. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you believe as Christians, show of hands, how many of you believe as Christians that it is important for us to be holy? Raise your hand if you believe that. Now, how many of you think that it is achievable to be holy? Not near as many hands. Why is that? Why is it that we believe we need to be, but then when we say, can we be, we go, I don't know. And I think it's because when we see the word holy, we've always been taught our whole life, whether it's been right or wrong, or just maybe it's the way we've done it. We've, been, we've, we've equated holiness with perfection. If God is holy, then God is what? Perfect, right? But holiness does not mean perfect. I want, you to, I want you to say that with me. Holiness does not mean, say it one more time. Holiness does not mean, so get that out of your mind. Let it go. Holiness does not mean perfection because you will never be perfect. I will never be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. So quit thinking that that's what God's calling us to. God's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to live above the world. In essence, that's what holiness is. 
Holiness is I'm living by a different standard. If you want to get down to the actual literal, like what does this word actually mean? It means I am different from the world because I am like the Lord. And if you do a study of the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is a book of laws. It's not the most exciting book. But one of the things you get from the book of Leviticus is what holiness is. God is saying, I am holy and I am, I am pure. Okay, so God is, and he says, I cannot associate with unholiness. So I'm going to give you a process of, of becoming holy. I'm going to show you what sin is. That was the purpose of the old law, to show what sin was, to say this is right and this is wrong, and you can understand that, and you can, you can grasp that. And he's saying, look, you, I'm going to show you what's right so that you can be holy. I'm going to show you how to live above sin, how to live like me. We're never going to do it to perfection, and that's okay. That's where the love and grace and mercy of Jesus comes in. His sacrifice on the cross, it, it, it helps overcome that gap that we can't accomplish on our own. But it doesn't change the fact that we need to strive every day to do exactly what the Holy Spirit inspires him to write here, and that is for us to live holy in all that we do. So then the question becomes, how do I accomplish that? How do I live holy? How do I live this way in my life, especially when I maybe struggle with the idea of what holiness is? What, how, how do I live this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about the rest of this time. How do I live in holiness? The first thing is this. If you're going to live in holiness, you need to make sure that you have committed to Christ. Make sure above everything else, first and foremost, that you have committed to Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He, he's, he's trying to remind them here, look, you've made this commitment. You, you have committed to Jesus. You've committed to God. You've committed to holiness through the Holy Spirit. Now, quit focusing on sin. Quit letting that be the thing that guides and controls your life. He says, you died to that. He says, or don't you know? He's like, he's reminding them. This is how you made that commitment. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And he lets us know your commitment to Jesus truly starts when? At that moment of your baptism, you were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That moment of commitment of saying, Jesus, it's all about you. God, it's all about you. Holy Spirit, it's all about you. That journey truly begins it's, it's, it's greatest process at that moment when we are baptized, when we are buried, our sins are washed away, we receive the Holy Spirit who guarantees our salvation, who seals us as belonging to God, and we stand at that moment and say, I'm standing with you, Jesus. But you've got to make sure first and foremost that you've made this spiritual commitment through baptism to Jesus. That's the first process, the first step of holiness. The next, and I put two and three together because really and truly they, 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 they just go one round into the other. The first is this, as you think about your own life, humbly confess that I struggle with sin. 
Right, let's start right there first. You've heard me say this before, and I truly believe this. I don't, I'm not saying this is a book, chapter, verse thing. This is just Matthew's rationale, Matthew's thought. I don't like the phrase that I'm a sinner. I don't like that phrase. I don't like people to be like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God, you know, just trying to make it through life. I don't like that because I think, and, and like I said, this is, just, this is just commentary. This is just Matthew here. I think that when I say I'm a sinner, I am defining myself by my sin. And as a Christian, as carrying the name of Christ, what is supposed to define me? My sin or my Savior? My Savior. So I, say, I don't believe that we can say I'm a Christian and I'm a sinner. I believe this statement of I'm a Christian who sometimes struggles with sin is maybe a more correct way to look at that. But I am defined by Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. But I also have to admit and I have to be willing to confess that there are times and sometimes they're greater than others that I struggle with sin. We all do. And part of being holy is understanding that part about ourselves, and not being so haughty that we, we have the ability to look and find other people's sin, but not our own. Like we said last week, love the sinner, but hate what? Your own sin. Don't make it about someone else's shortcomings. You've got enough shortcomings of your own that you need to work out before you ever start pointing at someone else's. And once you get to that place and say, hey, I struggle with sin, then the next thing that we've got to do in life is say, hey, I need to repent. I need to let go of these things. Quit letting these things define me. Quit living in this direction. And I need to get the help that I need to overcome those things. I need to get the help that I need to overcome those things. We've used this passage a couple of times in our study. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11. And if, you don't, if you're looking at this in your Bible and you don't have this verse underlined, underline this verse. And that is what some of you were. We all struggle. We all come to Jesus with baggage. We all come out of sin and into righteousness. So let's be humble and remember that. And when we struggle with those things, let's also remember the next part. That you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remember, you don't have to let those things define you. Repent of those things. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember the forgiveness that you've gotten. Let go of those things. And if you need help moving on past those things, James says, confess your sins one to another. If you're struggling with these things, go to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. There are some sins in our life, some temptations that we'll never be able to put in their proper place all by ourselves. And we're not meant to. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to live to where we build each other up and help each other through difficult struggles in our life. When you get to that place and you say, this is a sin that has come into my life and I'm struggling with it and I'm having a hard time letting go with it, go to a brother, go to a sister and just say, I need help. That is how you walk in holiness. It's not perfection, 
but it's saying, I'm trying to overcome this. I'm trying to move past this, and I need help doing it. I hadn't forgotten how hard it is, and I need you to help me in this process. So make sure that you have committed to Christ, humbly confess that I struggle with sin, repent, and get the help you need. And then the next thing, and I think this is an important one, especially in the culture in which we're dealing with right now, refuse to negotiate with the truth. Refuse to negotiate with the truth. We are in an interesting phase in our culture. And it's a phase where we're seeing preachers and elders and Bible school teachers and, and church members, just, just everybody. It, it's, not, it's not just one group of people. It's, it's, it's just we're seeing people negotiate with the truth because we're facing difficult moments and we're not sure what to do. And so we have these moments where there's a disruption and, and there's a process here. And I should have made a slide and I apologize for not doing that. But there's a process that happens when we begin to negotiate. If we understand it, we can keep it from happen, happening. But a lot of times it happens with a disruption in my life. Okay, a disruption in my life. And what I mean by a disruption is maybe you have a, let's say for a moment, I have a child that comes in and says, you know what, I have decided to live this way. You, you can fill in the blanks of however you want it to be, but let's just, let's just admit for the moment they're coming, they're saying, I have decided to live a lifestyle that is counter to Jesus. It's not this holy life. It's, it's, it's not the way God wants me to live. And if you want to have anything to do with me, you're going to have to accept it. You're just going to have to accept it because I'm not changing and if you love me, you'll just accept me for who I am, and you'll just never treat me any different. And so what happens is we have a disruption. We have this moment in our life that, okay, something has happened. Something has challenged my faith. It's challenged my foundation that I've always built, and I'm not sure what to do with it. But I, but, but I love my son. I don't want to lose him. And so if you're not careful, then you begin, if you will, to dialogue those things. We ask questions. Well, let's really figure this, figure this out. I know that I've always been told that this is what the Bible says, but is it really what the Bible says? I mean, is it, is it really what the Bible says? Well, let's talk about this. Well, let's dig a little bit. Let's, let's, well, this verse says this. So could it mean, you know, well, if you, if you go back to the Greek, you know, it could say this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, we, we, we talk about it. And sometimes talking digs us into a bigger hole than it needs to. But the danger is when I begin to recruit. I've, I've changed my own mind, but I may be in a place where I've changed my mind, but no one else has. So I'm going to recruit. I'm going to go out and find people that feel the same way I do. Whether it's based on Scripture or not, I'm going to find people that feel the same way I do so that I can feel like I'm not wrong. So I can feel like I've not really negotiated with truth. And then if we're not careful, that leads to rejection. And not necessarily of just the word of God, but of Christians who love us. Hey, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more educated than you. I've, I've studied this more than you. And if you can't see things my way, then, then that's going to hurt our relationship. I'm just going to reject how you feel. And if you don't see things the way that I see, then eventually what happens is I begin to attack you. I begin to challenge you and bully you to try to get you to see things my way. And you see, that's the danger of negotiating with the truth. That if I don't take the word of God for what it is, and I don't stand on the word of God for its pureness and its truthfulness and its holiness, then I put myself in a situation 
to where every step away from that just takes me deeper and deeper into sin to the point to where I'm okay with creating division. I'm okay with leading the charge of, of, of false doctrine. And, and I've done it all because I don't want to lose this. But Jesus says, what does it matter if you've gained the whole world, yet you've lost your soul, you've lost your salvation? So negotiating with the truth is a very dangerous thing. We've got to be careful with that idea. Isaiah these words or has these words he says woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter we can't negotiate with the truth the next thing is and we're, and we're almost done with these love centers enough to rescue them from bondage we talked about this last week to a greater extent but we're not fighting against people. We're fighting for them. We're trying to save their souls. Matthew verse 22, Jesus is having this conversation and he asked this, the questions asked, you know, who, who is your neighbor? That's a, that's a question Jesus is asking. In Matthew 22, he's talking about the law and he says, one of the greatest laws is to love your neighbor. How? As yourself. So as you look at your neighbor, do you love them enough to continually talk to them and share with them the love. Not, not, not judge them. It's not our job. Our job is to show truth and love. Truth and love in a great and powerful way. The next thing, and maybe the next to last thing that we're going to talk about, is love, I should say believers, enough to build boundaries. And I believe this is something that maybe is hard for us to grasp and comprehend. We're going to talk about this a little more in depth here in a few weeks, but love believers enough to build boundaries and to keep sin out of the church family. You know, there's, there's a phrase that um, we use a lot of time to justify people's actions, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's legit a problem. And it's, well, that's just how Riley is. If you get to know Riley, you know, Riley's not a bad guy, but, you know, when he acts this way, that's just, that's just Riley. And, and, and we, we, we say things like that because we, we don't want to feel judgmental towards people, okay? We don't want to feel judgmental towards people. We don't want them to feel like they're being judged. And it's just easier to make an excuse for sin than it is to confront sin and build boundaries. But is love without boundaries love? No, it's not. Just say, just, just, just do what you want to do. That's, that's not love. Love is saying, this is what's best. And I want what's best for you. But if you're not going to live in this life, I, I can't be there. I can't have anything to do with that. And also, I, I'm not going to allow you to bring that into our family and cause us harm and damage. But also understand that when we talk about this, we're talking about our brothers and sisters who know better, not about those we're trying to bring to Christ. And Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that, uh, in that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What's he saying? He's saying build boundaries. 
If you're going to live holy as an individual and try to create this holy environment in the church, there are going to be times where people may say, hey, I know what Jesus wants me to do. I'm not taking a stand for him. I'm going to live the life I want to anyway. I'm still going to come. I'm still going to act like a church member, but I'm not going to live. I'm not going to commit to holiness. That's when you say, well, stop. We're not allowing you into this to bring this into our midst to where you cause more problems, to where maybe you pull someone else away. We're going to protect those who are around us, and we're going to tell you, hey, we love you, and when you decide to live by Jesus, then we're going to live with you. But boundaries are important. Remember what we talked about a few months ago, this idea that as someone is walking toward the cross, what do we use? We use grace and love and mercy. But when someone has come to the cross and they know better and they decide to walk away, we use doctrine and boundaries to try to get them to understand the importance of the decision to come back. Still in love, still with with gracefulness, but also with truth. The most important thing, I believe, as we wrap all of this up, and we're going to break some of these things down over the next few weeks and and dig a little bit deeper into them. There's not enough time to, to unpack all of this today. But the last thing that is so important for us, and it's not going to be on your screen, it's just something I jotted down last night as I was wrapping up, is model truth and the beauty of holiness. We were talking in class this morning, James, in the end of the book, of, or in the middle of chapter 1, he talks about this idea of don't merely be listeners of the word, but do what it says. And that's our challenge with holiness. Don't just sit here this morning and look at this and go, okay, so this is how you live out holiness. All right, good. Now go live it. Do what the word of God says. Say, God, I'm making a stand with you. I'm committing to you. I've had my sins washed away. I appreciate the grace and mercy and forgiveness that I have received from you. And in return, now I'm willing Because your gift is so great, I'm willing to say, no matter what, I'm going to live this holy life with you. I'm going to need your help at times. I'm going to need the help of my brothers and sisters at times. I'm not going to do this perfectly. But I'm committed to a life of holiness, and I'm going to live it. And the reason this is so important is because, number one, a life of holiness is beautiful. It's not free of pain. It's not free of heartaches. But it's a lot less free of pain and heartache than what sin brings us in life. And the ultimate payoff of eternity with Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer. But we have to live it and show people. You may want to live this counterculture to Jesus, but I'm living this so that you see the beauty of Jesus and his love and his grace. If we don't live it, people will never know. If we don't practice it, people will never see it. So let's make a commitment as we live in this life that is full of struggles, that's flowing away from Jesus. It is more important now than it ever has been for us to commit as an individual and as a church to live in holiness just as we've been called to. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the time that we've been in your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to experience your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your truth, God. We thank you for the challenge to live holy. And I pray, God, that everybody in this room hears that call, hears that challenge, and is willing to live up to that and give it their all. Because through holiness, we change the world. 
through holiness we bring people to you and you are able to save them and free them from their bondage of sin. God, forgive us when we don't do this, when we find those moments that sin takes over and, 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 and tries to gain control. Help us to always look to you, to not be defined by that sin, to be defined as, as, as Christian, but there are going to be moments that we struggle and help us to look and grab on even stronger to you in those moments. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.